It has to be tough growing up inside the White House. I mean, I'm sure it has its perks, but children don't sign up for the pressure and constant judgment from the media and the public. Perhaps it's not so bad for the younger ones, but I couldn't even handle being a normal, unknown teenager. I'm not sure what I would have done if my first zit and girlfriend were plastered all over the news. In more recent years, there have been some memorable children in the White House. John F. Kennedy's daughter Caroline was only three when she moved into the White House. She was adorable and smiley and probably very happy. Until her father was taken from us three years later. Amy Carter was the next presidential child on the younger side. She was only four when Jimmy Carter became president. Her time at the White House consisted of roller skating, treehouse sleepovers, and being a freckle-faced cutie patootie. Lyndon B. Johnson's daughter, Linda, was 19 when he entered office, and not too long after began a very public relationship with actor George Hamilton. President Richard Nixon's younger daughter got married at 19 years old to President Dwight Eisenhower's son a month before her dad took office. Susan Ford, Gerald Ford's youngest child and only daughter, was 17 when Ford took office. She threw her school's prom in the White House's East Room. More recently, people my age have watched and judged young ladies like Chelsea Clinton. She was only 12 when Bill Clinton became president. She went through some awkward stages, and people were absolutely brutal to her. Chelsea eventually blossomed into a lovely young lady as we watched her leave for college while Dad was still in office. She's since gotten married and has a bunch of PhDs and MDs and BBDs and PYTs and is smarter than all of us. Then we got the Bush twins, Jenna and Barbara. They were 19 when George W. Bush took office. Being the daughters of the current president and granddaughters of a former president put them squarely into the public eye. It didn't help that they both went off to college around that time. Since his tenure in office, both girls have carved out very successful lives for themselves, but it was a rocky beginning with both of them receiving alcohol-related misdemeanors at their respective universities. The Obama presidency allowed us to see Malia and Sasha Obama grow into young women. And while Donald Jr., Eric, Ivanka, and Tiffany were already attention-loving adults, son Barron Trump, the only child of former First Lady Melania, who is now 15 and a whopping 6 foot 7 inches tall, was kept out of the public eye for the most part. My point of all this is that there have been plenty of children growing up in the White House. In fact, only five U.S. presidents never had children. Washington, Buchanan, Polk, Andrew Jackson, and Harding. Even with the Trump children in the mix, no presidential first child has ever carved out a name and reputation for themselves quite like the young lady we are discussing in this episode. Episode 24, The Legacy of Alice Lee. On October 27, 1880, at the age of 19, Alice Hathaway Lee married Theodore Roosevelt. Aside from the wedding celebration, it was also his 22nd birthday. Shortly after the wedding, Theodore was accepted into Columbia Law School, and the couple moved in with his widowed mother, Martha. Throughout 1881, the newlyweds became highly respected among New York's elite social circles. They also spent five months touring Europe. In 1882, Roosevelt became a member of the New York State Assembly 
and the couple moved into Theodore's house in Albany. When Alice Hathaway Lee became pregnant in the summer of 1883, the young husband and wife began planning for a large family and bought land near his mother's property. Alice gave birth to the couple's daughter at 8.30 p.m. on February 12, 1884. Theodore was attending to business on the assembly floor at the time and received a telegram with the birth announcement the next day. As he made arrangements to leave and be by his wife's side, he received a second telegram regarding her ill health. By the time he arrived home, she was nearly comatose. Theodore held her throughout the night, and by noon on Valentine's Day, she passed away from undiagnosed kidney failure. Alice Hathaway Lee Roosevelt was just 22 years old. I should mention that 11 hours earlier that same day, in the same house, Theodore Roosevelt's mother, Martha, or Mitty as she was known, died of typhoid fever. Baby Alice Lee Roosevelt wasn't 72 hours old before losing both her mother and grandmother. Welcome to the world, Alice. From that day forward, Theodore Roosevelt hardly spoke of his wife again. On that date in his diary, he drew a large X with the words, The light has gone out of my life, written below. Distraught, he headed west, where he spent two years traveling and living on his ranch in North Dakota. He focused on his work and handed the care of his daughter over to his oldest sister, Anna, who he knew had no plans for marriage. Anna, or Bammy, as she was called by family and close friends, took wonderful care of Alice until the age of three. Theodore would write often to his sister, checking up on his daughter. In one letter from 1884, he wrote, I hope Mousykins will be very cunning. I shall dearly love her. In 1886, Theodore Roosevelt married his second wife, Edith, and took custody of Alice Lee. He could never bring himself to call her by the name she shared with her deceased mother, so he often referred to her as Baby Lee. She grew to like the nickname and even preferred to be called Mrs. L later in life. By the time Alice was 13 years old, she had five half-siblings. Theodore III, better known as Ted, born in 1887, then Kermit in 1889, Ethel, the only other girl, in 1891, and then Archie in 1894 and Quentin in 1897. Throughout her childhood, Alice did everything she could to stay in contact with her aunt, Bammy. Eventually, Bammy did get married and moved to London. As Alice worked her way through her teens with a stepmother, she became more headstrong and independent. There are varying reports on how well Alice and Edith got along. Edith had known Alice's mother before she passed and would tell Alice that while her mother was beautiful, she was also insipid and a childlike fool. One time during an argument, an enraged Edith said that if Alice Hathaway had lived, she would have bored Theodore to death. Before the turn of the century, her father was frequently absent, pursuing a higher standing in local and national government. In 1899, Theodore Roosevelt was elected governor of New York. While he served as governor, he and Edith suggested that Alice attend a conservative school for girls in New York City. Alice fought this adamantly, even going so far as to write a letter to her parents stating, If you send me, I will humiliate you. I will do something that will shame you. I tell you, I will. In her later years, looking back, Alice actually expressed admiration for her stepmother's sense of humor and their similar interests in literature. She also stated that Edith coped with having a stepdaughter with a fairness and charm and intelligence which she has to a greater degree than almost anyone else I know. The tension she had with Edith, big or small, combined with the separation from her father, turned Alice into a more independent and outgoing young woman. The beauty and brains she'd inherited from her parents also made her self-confident and calculating. In November of 1899, two years into William McKinley's presidency, Vice President Garrett Hobart died of heart failure. 
Now, back then, if a vice president died, you just went on without one. I'm not a political guy by any means, so I couldn't tell you what a vice president does even now, but back then, it seemed to be a fairly boring position. So McKinley went without a VP for the rest of his term. This left open a spot on the Republican national ticket for the 1901 elections. Roosevelt didn't want any part of the job, as he heard his name being passed around in political circles. President McKinley even came out and said that he wasn't being considered for the job. Eventually, he was placed on the ticket and won the nomination unanimously. As was the case with most things in his life, Roosevelt went all out on the campaign trail. He made 480 stops in 23 different states and wiped the mat with the Democratic presidential nominee William Jennings Bryan. Because of this campaigning, McKinley won a second term by a larger margin than he had won the first. Roosevelt took office as vice president in March of 1901. Six months later, on September 2nd, at the Minnesota State Fair, Roosevelt spoke the words that would forever be tied to his name. Speak softly and carry a big stick, and you will go far. Four days later, on September 6th, President McKinley was attending the Pan American Exposition in Buffalo, New York. It was there that he was shot by Leon Zolgos. Roosevelt rushed to his bedside, but it looked like McKinley would recover. On September 14th, McKinley succumbed to his wounds and passed away. Roosevelt was informed of his death and quickly sworn in as the nation's 26th president. Interesting side note, shortly after taking office, Roosevelt invited Booker T. Washington to dinner at the White House. This enraged Southern voters. At first, he came out and said that he looked forward to many more future dinners with Washington, a black man, but then quickly retracted the statement upon advice from his cabinet and further reflection. He still met with Washington, but they were scheduled as meetings instead of dinners. So while this ascension to president happened quickly for Theodore Roosevelt, it may have been the most exciting for his daughter Alice. She's on record as saying that when her father took office after McKinley's assassination, she was in sheer rapture. At the age of 17, she was quickly becoming both a celebrity and a fashion icon. At her social debut in 1902, Alice wore a gown that was a color unlike anything that anyone in those times had seen. Alice Blue earned its own spot on the color wheel and sparked a fashion trend worldwide in women's clothing. While many women of that era stayed in line with the social norms, young Alice was considered a rule-breaker. During Roosevelt's first term, a newspaper in Paris reported that Alice attended 407 dinners, 350 balls, and 300 parties in the span of 15 months. Some quick taps on the old calculator places her at a dinner party roughly six days out of each week, a ball four days out of the week, and some other form of a party at least two days a week. Like any good celebrity, tabloid-style stories had her stripping down to her lingerie and dancing atop tables at various parties. Most, I say most, of those proved to be false. Alice could, however, be seen smoking cigarettes in public, riding in cars with men, and staying out late partying. When her father forbade her from smoking underneath the White House roof, she started smoking cigarettes on the White House roof instead, technically obeying his wishes. At some point, Alice began keeping a pet snake in the White House. In fact, she kept it in her pocket at all times for a while. She named the snake Emily Spinach, which I think is a pretty amazing name for a snake. The Emily portion came from an aunt of hers, and she chose Spinach as the last name since the snake was green. Why there aren't children's books about Emily Spinach, I'm not sure. 
Maybe I'll make that a thing someday. On more than one occasion, Alice was seen placing bets with a bookie on White House grounds. She also liked to race cars up and down the streets of Washington, D.C. People knew her to be the center of attention when it came to anything social during her father's presidency. It goes without saying that she thrived on the attention. In that way, she wasn't so different than her father. She would say some years later when asked about Theodore Roosevelt, he wants to be the bride at every wedding, the corpse at every funeral, and the baby at every christening. Despite all the shenanigans and outspokenness, or maybe because of it, she won the hearts of the American people, the same people who nicknamed her Princess Alice. One of Alice's favorite things to do was come into the Oval Office uninvited and offer her political advice. It didn't matter who was in the room with her father. When asked about the interruptions by a friend, he threatened to throw her out a window and said famously, I can either run the country or I can attend to Alice, but I can't possibly do both. Daughters. See, he gets it. In 1905, Alice was sent along with her father's Secretary of War, William Howard Taft, to lead the largest diplomatic mission in history. The American delegation visited Japan, Hawaii, China, the Philippines, and Korea. The delegation included 23 congressmen, one of which would be her future husband, seven senators, diplomats, officials, and businessmen. It's reported that during the cruise to Japan, Alice jumped into the ship's swimming pool while fully clothed. She also coaxed a congressman or two to join her. In her autobiography years later, she defended the act, stating that there was no difference between the clothes she was wearing and women's bathing suits of that time. Upon returning to Washington from their diplomatic mission, Alice got engaged to a Republican U.S. House of Representatives member from Cincinnati, Ohio, named Nicholas Longworth III. They'd known each other for years, but the relationship blossomed into more than a friendship while on that cruise. Alice was just 21 at the time, while Longworth was 35. Eventually, he would become the Speaker of the House. Their wedding took place in February of 1906 and was without a doubt the social event of the season. More than a thousand guests were in attendance, with thousands more outside hoping to see the beautiful bride. Alice wore a blue wedding dress, of course, and it's said that she dramatically cut the wedding cake with a sword that she'd borrowed from a military aide in attendance. The honeymoon included a trip to Cuba and a stay with Nicholas Longworth's family in Cincinnati, a city that she took to calling Cincinnati. From there, they left for England and dined with some of the most important people in the world at the time. King Edward, German Emperor Kaiser Wilhelm, and a host of others. When they returned, they bought a house together in Washington, D.C. Even in marriage, Alice stayed feisty and uncontrollable. On May 11th of 1908, Alice found herself in the Capitol's gallery at the House of Representatives. While there, she placed a tack on the chair of an unknown gentleman. She described the man's reaction with pride, stating that upon encountering the tack, the man leapt up in pain and surprise, like the burst of a bubble on the fountain, like the bolt from the blue, like the ball from the cannon. All the while, she looked away and snickered. When her father's second term ended in 1909, as her family moved out, she admitted to crafting a voodoo doll in the likeness of the new first lady, Nellie Taft, and then burying it in the front yard of the White House. This action caused Taft to ban her from the White House during his presidency. Side note. Not long after his time as president ended, Roosevelt left New York for the Smithsonian Roosevelt African Expedition, a safari that took place in East and Central Africa. The trip was financed by Andrew Carnegie and presented as a hunt for specimens for the Smithsonian Institute and for the American Museum of Natural History in New York. Roosevelt and his companions killed or trapped over 11,400 animals, including six rare white rhinos. Salted animals and skins were shipped to Washington 
and shared with museums across the country. In 1912, her marriage hit its first real rough patch. As President Taft ran for re-election, Alice publicly supported her father's Bull Moose third-party progressive nomination. Her husband, Nicholas Longworth, stayed loyal to Taft, however. During the run-up to the election, Alice appeared on stage with her father's vice presidential candidate, Hiram Johnson, even in her husband's own district. To throw further salt in the wound, Longworth lost his House seat by 105 votes. Alice claimed that she was worth at least 100 of those. Nicholas Longworth was elected again in 1914 and would then remain in the House for the rest of his life. Before we continue the wild Alice Roosevelt Longworth timeline, here's another fun Teddy Roosevelt fact for you. On October 14, 1912, Roosevelt was attending a campaign event in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. That's when a man being haunted by the ghost of assassinated President William McKinley shot Roosevelt at point-blank range. The bullet lodged in his chest after being slowed by his steel eyeglass case and a 50-page speech. Those 50 pages turned out to be a 90-minute speech that he went on to make after assuring the crowd that he was all right. Being an avid hunter, he figured that since he was not coughing blood, his lung hadn't been penetrated. And he was right. Roosevelt ended up losing the election, but got 27% of the vote, while the incumbent Taft, his former Secretary of War, I'll remind you, only got 23%. This opened the door for Democrat Woodrow Wilson to win the electoral vote by a landslide. In 1916, Alice earned her second White House ban, after publicly cracking a joke at Woodrow Wilson's expense. In 1919, on the night of January 5th, Theodore Roosevelt received treatment from his physician for some breathing issues. The last words he would ever speak would be to his servant when he said, Please put out that light, James. At the age of 60, Theodore Roosevelt died in his sleep after a blood clot detached from a vein and traveled to his lungs. Had he have made it six more years, he would have seen the birth of Alice's daughter, Paulina. In typical Alice fashion, this wasn't just a normal run-of-the-mill pregnancy and childbirth. Paulina was born on Valentine's Day, the anniversary of Theodore Roosevelt's wife and mother passing away. It was widely known throughout various D.C. social circles that both Alice and her husband Nicholas carried on numerous affairs during their marriage. Word on the street was that the baby was not the offspring of Nicholas Longworth, but actually that of Idaho Senator William Bora, something she later confirmed in her diaries. Her sometimes diabolical sense of humor even had her making jokes that she had originally wanted to name the child Deborah, or Deborah, after the Idaho Senator William Bora. Nicholas wasn't in love with the idea, so they landed on Paulina. Despite all of it, Nicholas Longworth adored Paulina. So when he died of pneumonia in 1931, when Paulina was only six, it had a major impact on her. For the rest of her life, Paulina suffered from various depressive disorders. Her relationship with Alice was never good. Paulina was placed in the care of a very strict nanny, and any nurturing instinct on Alice's behalf never seemed to materialize. Alice seemed to almost compete with her daughter, as if they were siblings. Alice wanted Paulina to become an extroverted socialite like herself, but never missed a chance to belittle her. Paulina married in 1944, then made Alice a grandmother in 1946 after giving birth to her daughter Joanna, and she was widowed at age 26 when her husband died of viral hepatitis in 1951. Her depression worsened after that, and six years later, at the age of 31, she died from an overdose of sleeping pills. The one and only good thing that came out of all of that was that Alice saw her chance at becoming the motherly figure to Joanna 
that she never was with Paulina. The granddaughter and grandmother got off to a rocky start, but eventually formed a very close relationship. In 1955, Alice fell and broke her hip. A year later, she was diagnosed with breast cancer, and although she underwent a successful mastectomy, cancer was found in her other breast in 1970, requiring a second one. She joked about that, too, to no one's surprise, claiming to be Washington's only topless octogenarian. In 1980, after many years of ill health, Alice died in her home eight days after her 96th birthday. I went from knowing very little of Alice Roosevelt Longworth to knowing what seems like maybe too much. She was an impressive woman who made her fair share of mistakes in life, strong and sassy, beautiful and occasionally boorish. Some referred to her as the other Washington Monument. I'm not sure what else can be said about Alice. A woman who once said that her distant cousin turned president Franklin D. Roosevelt was one-thirds mush and two-thirds Eleanor, or a gal who owned a pillow in her tea room with her famous quote stitched into it. If you can't say something good about someone, sit right here by me. Or said that Calvin Coolidge looked like he's been weaned on a pickle. Or that a Hoover vacuum was more exciting than President Herbert Hoover. Or the time she informed President Lyndon B. Johnson that she wore wide-brimmed hats so he couldn't kiss her. Alice Roosevelt Longworth was a self-proclaimed show-off, hedonist and pagan. She also received enough fan mail while her dad was in office that her parents needed to hire her her own personal secretary. During the Great Depression, she lent her likeness to cigarette advertisements just to make ends meet. She was best buds with Richard Nixon, cordial with Gerald Ford, respected by the Kennedys, and while I may not agree with her politics or some of her life choices, I respect the heck out of her and would have gladly jumped into a cruise ship pool fully clothed if she asked. Her philosophy in life was, fill what's empty, empty what's full, and scratch where it itches. I like that. I hope you enjoyed getting to know more about this amazing, witty, sometimes rude, incredibly strong woman who shook up Washington for nearly 80 years. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode or any of my other episodes, please leave a five-star rating. It really helps. Don't forget to visit my website, curator135.com. There's a ton of show-related goodies and extras on there, as well as the shop section featuring some great show-related merchandise. As always, be good to one another and be creative. The world needs you. Hold on. I'm coming, Alice.